The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yo, 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 welcome to another edition of Round Ball Ramble. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. Find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Make sure to check out Hoop Ball online, hoop-ball.com, and on Twitter at HoopBallTweets. A lot of great content coming out every single day in the form of podcasts, in the form of injury reports, off-season outlooks are starting. I mean, get this, y'all. The draft starts in less than two weeks. Right after that is free agency. Right after that is summer league. A little bit after that, we got training camp, and the whole scene starts all over again on the span of like a hundred and so days. So a lot's going to come at you. And when the season comes at you, so does fantasy. And come on, what's hoop ball? So definitely make sure to check that out. Today is Monday, the 12th of July. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks came back in resounding fashion and took down the Suns after, you know, being blitzed by them up in Phoenix for two games. So that is something we're going to have to talk about for sure. But I did want to talk about the news for the NBA. Honestly, this just concerns one team, which is the Orlando Magic, and their new head coach, Jamal Mosley. Uh, I am so happy. I can't begin to explain how excited I am, how elated I am that Jamal Mosley has agreed to a four-year deal with the Orlando Magic to be their head coach moving forward. Um, he was formerly a Dallas assistant, and he's coming in now to replace, of course, uh, Steve Clifford, who mutually parted ways with the team last month. Uh, this is a team now. They reached the playoffs consecutive years before they made that trade deadline um, blow up this past season, trading Nikola Vucevic to Chicago and Evan Fournier to Boston, fully cementing them in rebuild mode. Um the Magic search process is basically narrowed down to two candidates. It was Mosley and, and Denver assistant Wes Unsell Jr., who also emerged as one of the leading candidates for the Wizards coaching vacancy, which is now um, the only vacancy left alongside the New Orleans Pelicans job. So that's there. But going back to Mosley, Mosley's role with the Mavericks has been over the past seven years, and it's done a lot with working with players, developing a good relationship, a good rapport with them. Uh, most notably, he had one with Luka Doncic, one where after he replaced a, a quarantine Rick Carlisle and, and led the Mavs to a victory over the Knicks, uh, Doncic said that he's got the things needed for a head coach. Uh, Mosley's 42. Like I said, before spending the last seven seasons with the Mavericks under Carlisle, he was on the staff of the Cleveland Cavaliers from 2010-2014, and even from before that with the Denver Nuggets from 2005-2010. So he's been on teams that were developing. Remember, Cleveland between 2010 and 2014, this was the last few, you know, just after LeBron, up until LeBron returned. So, you know, Kyrie, a lot of developmental guys, a lot of guys who, you know, were just kind of finding their way through. And Denver between 2005-2010, a lot more of a competitive roster. You had Allen Iverson during that time. You had Chauncey Billups. And those guys were surrounding the hub, which was Carmelo Anthony. But he's been around not only two different teams in terms of um, where they are in the NBA timeline of comp competing or, or tanking, whatever the case may be. But he's also had the privilege of working under two Hall of Fame level coaches. And that's Carlisle in, in Dallas and George Carl in De- in Denver. And, I mean, let's not disrespect, you know, Mike Brown, uh, Byron Scott, others in Cleveland as well. So, what he's going to be facing when he goes into Orlando is a team that is very much in rebuild mode. Uh, 
beyond the two lottery picks that they have in what is a very interestingly deep draft this season. The Magic have a young core of players that include not only their recent first-round picks, Cole Anthony, um, and Chumo Kiki, and Mobamba, but you also have Wendell Carter Jr. that you got um, from that trade with the Bulls. And the Magic are expecting two starters back from season-ending injuries, and that was, of course, Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac. So, is the team going to be good next season? Probably not, but from what we've heard so far, it seems like Jamal Mosley and the Magic are looking to focus more on development. They know that we're not winning a championship next year. You're not probably competing for the playoffs next year. And that's just with the roster as it is, with the plethora of cap space that they have. We'll talk about them in in a future offseason outlook more in detail. But I like the fact that you're giving someone who has been on, he's been grinding, just absolute grinding. He played overseas for a while. Um, He's been on coaching staffs trying relentlessly to get, to get a position, and he's putting the work, and he's finally starting to reap some benefits of said um, work, and I love that we're giving a chance, not only for guys of that rank, especially in the NBA, uh, a coach of color, uh, I, I can't wait till that becomes more of the norm and not something that I point out is like a, a great thing, but it really is a great thing because it's not something that is widely prevalent, it just isn't, um, there's a guy who the entire time made the right relationships, put in that, that, that grind, and now he's going to be rewarded with this position with the Mav, with the Magic, and I only hope that he's given full reign, you know, right now, everyone hires a coach, and everything's going swimmingly, and then they play bad, they go through lumps or whatever, like, give this guy the reign that he needs, give the guy the, the yeah, I said it right the first time, that he needs to take advantage of the fact that, okay, Developing these guys is going to take time. I mean, we might be getting a, a Scotty Barnes. We might be getting a Jonathan Kaminga. We still got to figure out our backcourt. We still got to bring some 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 shooting on our team. You know, we still got to see what Jonathan Isaac looks after being injured for most of the past two years. We still got to see what has become a Markel Fultz after having that ACL injury last year. There's so many variables with the Magic that you have to evaluate, and you just hope that Mosley is given the full opportunity to make that happen and see what he can get from this team. That's all you ask. And, and we'll see how that goes. But I am excited. That was honestly the news that I was hoping to get this weekend. And we finally did get it yesterday. And it really uh, it, it made my day. So I'm really uh, pumped to share that. Uh, and we got to see what happens. But the Ma- Magic are my new favorite team. It's official. They're my new favorite team. I'm excited to watch them. See what becomes. See how Mosley puts a stamp on this Magic roster. And what they can become in a couple of years. I hope that this uh, signing is the first of many years with Orlando. Other news. The USA Olympic team played over the weekend. Yep, uh, I'd almost forgotten about that, but that has started. Uh, And guess what? They lost to Nigeria, which hasn't happened, hasn't had that yet. I mean, this was uh, Nigeria, all due respect to them, they grinded, they, they hit a, a 21 three-pointers, uh, but the Nigeria team's largely made up of little-known NBA players. You have um, Gabe Vincent, uh, Gabe Nanami is his name, but Gabe Vincent, uh, what he's more known by, uh, what he goes by for the Miami Heat playing there, but Nigeria's mostly little-known NBA players that found a way to beat All-NBA, All-Star, Max Contract, the guys assembled on this team. They competed, they worked hard, and they did it, and the U.S., this is the game they lost, ele- they lost 11 games before Saturday in major international play since 1992, but none of those teams, or none of those losses came against a team from Africa, but as Greg Popovich said, the Nigerian team played very well physically, they did a great job in that regard, and they knocked down a lot of threes, give them credit, end quote, 
Uh, Gabe Vincent led Nigeria with 21 points. Uh, Caleb Agata scored 17. Ike Nawamus added 13. And Nigeria just totally blitzed the U.S. from the three-point line, outscoring them 60-30. to 30. Uh, Kevin Durant had never before played and lost for USA Basketball in 39 senior international games. He had 17 points. Jason Tame had 15. Uh, Damian Lilla had 14. And Bam Adebayo had 11. But before this, the Americans had gone 39-0 in their last three Olympic seasons, including pre-Olympic exhibitions on their way to gold medals and have been 54-2 since 1992. So, not only have they done that, but they have killed Nigeria. They have beaten them by a combined 127 points in their last two meetings. You had one back in 2016, a warm-up for the Rio Games. You also had one in um, 2012 in London. Uh, but not this time. Nigeria said, we are not having that. As uh, USA Basketball Managing Director Jerry Colangelo said, Nigeria's come a long way with their basketball. And honestly, I think that you look around the league, all these players, I mean, the, the basketball, it's been an international sport. But I think that the trends are starting to get built. It's not like one team or one country is that much better, at least in my opinion, that overwhelmingly better than the others in terms of any given night. You can get beat. You know, you have guys that are adapting for this modern NBA. You know, guys with skill sets that are custom fit for this NBA game. So you have other guys that, you know, playing overseas, playing outside of the NBA circle, but still got game. And when they get the chance to showcase that, they can shock you. And that's what happened. Shout out to Mike Brown, who, um, a Golden State assistant coach, but he is the head of the Nigeria coaching team. And that is really kind of cool. Um, just to have an African team do it, I think is neat because it hasn't happened ever. Uh, as Mike Brown said, quote, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean much in the standings as far as what we're trying to get to, but it's a good win for us. I don't think any African team has been able to beat USA Basketball in an exhibition game or real game. We're trying to get a little bit of momentum for Nigeria and for the continent of Africa, end quote. Um, yeah, Precious at you out there, it, it was good. It, it was it was something else. Uh, they just kept the game simple. Actually, had the, the Knights' top defensive play uh, with the minute left in the first half, reach out the left hand, totally erased a Durant dunk. So that was that was kind of neat, but um, yeah, it was it was really it was really good. You had one um slight injury kind of scare. Uh, Zach Levine got hurt in the second quarter. He was closing out against um Vincent. He went airborne after a head fake, came to awkwardly in his ankle, his left ankle, and went directly to the locker room. But he was fine. It turned out he did later return um in the third quarter. So that happened and. You know, for the USA, it continues. Uh, tonight, in fact, they play uh, Australia, while Nigeria is going to face Argentina. So, both teams moving on, playing again on Monday, and that should be uh, fun. But this is a nice little piece of history. Again, shout-out to Nigeria, shout-out to Mike Brown and the players. And for the USA, I mean, we know the caliber of team that they are. We know where they're going to go. But the fact that, you know, you have a humbling experience, you take the L, you take the lump, you keep on moving, and you see what happens. And that's what USA is going to do. But that was a nice little piece of news that was cool to share, too. Uh, Nigeria reigning from out top. Yes, give it to me. Also, Becky Hammond. She uh, had a, a, a discussion, um, a, a nice piece with um, Jabari Young of CNBC uh, Sports. And she basically said that, you know, she talked about her experience uh, being a finalist. And she said that, you know, she's not mad. Quote, this is the business, and it's a very competitive business. But at the end of the day, throw everything out the window. If you want to hire me, you'll find a reason to hire me. And if you don't want to hire me, you'll find that reason too. And that's just that. And I love that. I mean, she talked about how, you know, she's ready for a coaching opportunity. She felt the Blazers were authentic in their coaching search. Uh, she said, I take each experience, I try to grow from it and learn from it and get better for the next time. If people need to justify a reason to why they did or didn't hire me, it's a little out of my realm of control. I just try to do the best I can in the moment I'm given. I love that. And she said, finally, to close it out, just the piece on her, I know how San Antonio has valued me, and I'm okay with that. 
and I love that. I mean, remember, Hammond has had a long basketball career. Forget the last, what, seven years in San Antonio. She's been 16 years in WNBA. She started with the Liberty. She made six all-star appearances throughout their career. She finished in San Antonio playing for the San Antonio Stars. Uh, she, she's like one of the connecting pieces uh, uh, from, you know, the Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manager Ginobili coaching staff wing alongside, of course, Pop um, in being there, especially with the Doka, uh, you know, not only gone, but also going to um, Boston. So I think it's really cool that she was able to talk about that. Um, and, 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 and try to get some, some words from her mouth. We've heard so many other things, both good and bad, from so many other people not named Becky Hammond. I was really happy to hear what she said from her own voice. And I'm going to close the last little uh, statement from her quote. I'm ready to be scrutinized. Whether I do it all wrong or do it all right, it is what it is. My job is to show up for the players and be the leader and person that believes in them the most. When the world is giving them a polish and throwing stuff in their ears, I'm the voice of honesty to say, hey, this is what it looks like. This is how it comes. This is how it's got to be. And if you're down, I'm down to make it work. I don't know how to put it to you any other way. The truth always works. I'm happy with what's happening. The needle is moving. Am I content? She says, no. And contentment has never brought anything great. There are different prices to pay to get where you want to go, and I'm at that point. And Becky, I'm right there with you. I'm excited to see where you go with that. All right, we gotta talk about the Suns and the Bucks. Like I said, Suns owned game one, came back and owned game two, despite Giannis scoring, you know, 40 points. It didn't matter. On great efficiency, it didn't matter. Um, The Suns were taking care of business. Knocked down 21 threes, just did what they had to do. Um, So we'll have to see how this goes. But um, we can tell you how game three went because Suns lost by 20, 120 to 100 in Milwaukee. Uh, In front of a Fizzer Forum, they came with the spark. They had improved to eight to one at home in this postseason. Um, nine to one, or eight and one now after they uh, beat the Suns. But they did it. Just who? Let's let's just talk about Giannis first. Let's just talk about Giannis first because Giannis was huge, and he made history, becoming just the third player ever to have back-to-back forty-point games in the NBA Finals. The other two players. I mean, not bad players themselves, Shaq and LeBron James. Giannis is also the third player in NBA Finals history with 40 points and 10 rebounds in back-to-back games. Again, joining LeBron James in 2016 and Shaquille O'Neal in 2000. Um, And this was a team effort. I called it at certain points the Drew Holiday game. I called it the Giannis game. I had a moment where I called it the Bobby Portis moment. Uh, I was just talking at that point out loud to myself. But bottom line, the Bucs came together and had a, a, a complete team win. The Suns made it competitive uh, throughout the first half, and then the third quarter, the Bucks opened up a little bit more, and then toward by the fourth quarter, the Bucks opened up a little bit more. Um, Giannis, 41 points on 60% shooting, 14 of 23, missed both of his threes, but shot 76% from the free throw line. I loved the juxtaposition of how the Suns were chanting, one, two, three, four, like they never heard the word Mississippi before. <laughs> never. While Milwaukee was almost deathly quiet. Of course, you had some Suns fans represent and make some counting, but it was like a smattering of one, two, totally different. Milwaukee, you could see them. Some of them, everyone was quiet. Some of them were like extending out their arms and and, and wiggling their fingers. I thought that was hilarious. They were putting all the good juju they had to try to make Giannis make those free throws, and he went 13 to 17 from the free throw line. So, I mean, is it a Milwaukee error, the magic powers? I don't know, but whatever it was, it worked. He also finished with 13 rebounds and 6 assists as well for good measure. He was a plus 20 on the game. He was a total beast, controlled all elements. I mean, he's looking less and less injured 
the longer the series goes on. And it's crazy to think about that when you look back at that injury that he had, the hyperextension, and I was one of many who did not think he'd play again the rest of the year. Like, this was a wrap. He went from that to not only doing that, but just balling out. Just absolutely putting on a show out here in this NBA Finals. But he wasn't alone. Drew Holiday bounced back in a major way after some just just piss-poor performances, I have to say. 21 points, 5 rebounds, 9 assists, had 12 in the third quarter alone, 57% from the field, 8 of 14, 5 of 10 from 3 on his own, knocked down a bunch of them, and with confidence, too. He started off slow, but really heated up down the stretch. Chris Middleton had an okay game, a little bit of everything, 18 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, did it well, uh, went to the free throw line, uh, you know, not as much as you'd like, only, you know, what? twice, but it was 3-3 three three there, Brooke Lopez, 6 points, 2 rebounds, knocked down a big 3 though, didn't do a whole lot, he was splitting time basically with Bobby Portis who played 18 minutes um, and had 11 points and 8 rebounds, he's just more of a rebounder than Brooke Lopez is, but also you had to kind of stagger those minutes because you had the backcourt of Chris Paul and Devin Booker just eating the Bucks bigs alive, so that was something that was done out of necessity, but still came out pretty well. Pat Connaughton, 8 points, 2 big 3s, you had help from him, uh, PJ Tucker, Seven points, three rebounds, one assist. Again, stuff that kind of goes beyond the box score. And that was really it for them. I mean, guys got garbage time. Jeff Teague played 13 minutes. Didn't do anything with him, but he played. And <laughs> that's really all you need to know for that. It really goes down to Giannis, to a lesser extent, Drew Holiday, who started to redeem himself just a little bit. Uh, all these guys played big minutes. Well, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday cleared the 40 minute barrier, Giannis was just hovering just below that 37, uh, P.J. Tucker probably would have played more, except he's battling foul trouble, so that limited him, and speaking of foul trouble that limited somebody, we gotta go to Phoenix and talk with DeAndre Ayton, who owned that first quarter, first half, but foul trouble really messed him up and, and basically had him hamstrung by the fourth quarter, he finished with 18 points and 9 rebounds, which is impressive, because most of that damage was done relatively early considering. Just a beast around there. You know, Bucks adjusted their defense and said, okay, beat us. And Aiden said, I, I will. Um, but he bounced some foul trouble. So that was a thing. Uh, but he still played well. Devin Booker did not play well. 10 points on 3 of 14 shooting. 1 of 7 from 3. Uh, missed a couple free throws, too. 3 of 5 from the free throw line. Had 6 rebounds, 2 assists, but just did not have a great game. I think a lot of us go down with the fit that he wore to the arena. He had some weird dress shoe, long sock, short, pink shorts, shirt. It was ugly. It was an ugly outfit befitting of such an ugly game, I'd imagine, so, um, not super great there, Chris Paul had a solid game, 19 points, 9 assists, Jay Crowder was hot, it just, by the time he was making shots, it was kind of too little too late, he had 18 points on 6 to 7 from 3, all his conversions were made from out there, 6 rebounds as well, and an assist, uh, Mikel Bridges did not have a great game as well as he played at home, it just goes to show you, you know, way on the road, uh, things are a little bit different, 4 points, 2 rebounds, 2 assists, 27 minutes, not a whole lot there. Off the bench, Cam Johnson, he played well, man. He uh, got a little bit tangled up toward the end um, with Giannis and was kind of hampered, at least for a moment, came back, played good. He had a posterization, complete and utter visceration, just, just, just ugly, just jerked to shreds dunk on P.J. Tucker. P.J. was set him for the charge. Cam Johnson rolls over the top, one hand cocked back, and yuck him. Nasty. He also had uh, a three as well, but ultimately, 5-11, 1-5 from three. He sparked a run that cut the lead for 
the Bucks, well, that was once 15, down to 7 uh, before the Bucks went and restored a little bit of order. But he had 14 points. He had 5 rebounds as well. He was solid. Um, Cameron Payne did not shoot the ball well, uh, but he, had a, he did have 7 points and 4 rebounds along with 4 assists. Uh, again, on 3 attempts, shooting not great. Torrey Craig, same thing. The fact that he played um, after having the injury, that he had the MCL kind of injury, was solid. 15 minutes, but didn't do a whole lot as far as scoring the ball there. 1 of 5 from the field. 0 of 3 from 3. Frank Kaminsky, man, I mean, he scored. He was also minus 12, and every time he's in the floor defensively, the Bucks just went wild. So, I guess you draw that up as a, eh, because that's what I'm going to do. I mean, no, I'm not. I'm going to take that back. He didn't play well. Frank Kaminsky didn't play well. Putting the ball in the basket, although that is one part of basketball, does not a good game make. And Frank Kaminsky did not make a good game on Sunday. So, that is something there. Um, my last little bit to close out on the Suns, uh, Bucks game, at least for this game three, there was a lot of talk about Scott Foster uh, with this team. You know, and I get it. Scott Foster, with the record, I think is 0-11, 0-12 or whatever with the Chris Paul-led team. You know, the Suns now, as the honorary members of that, Scott Foster hate have to deal with that. That's something they have to, you know, I'm not saying it's not something at all, but Suns fans from the get were just starting the narrative, oh my God, Scott Foster, we're going to lose. How about, hey, home court matters. How about, hey, you shot 29% from three. You were shooting 14% from it at the halftime. How about, hey, 68% from the free throw line is not going to do it. How about, hey, Devin Booker going three of 14 from the field is not going to do it. There are so many other factors in this game. So many other factors that this does not fit the narrative of, oh, Scott Foster ref, so we lost the game. Nah, y'all played like crap and you lost the game. That's what happened. And that's okay. The Bucks are at home. They've been great at home. Okay? Role players stepped up. Pat Content had a much better game here. You know, compare that to Mikel Bridges, who had a much weaker game. But let's not do that when you guys can't buy a bucket and, oh, it's Scott Foster's fault. No! Y'all can't buy a bucket. The Bucks went wild. Can't stop Giannis. Those are much more tangible facts that you can look at and go, you know what? This is why we lost the game. This right here. These little moves here, there, and everywhere. That is what we can look at. Not this other stuff. I, I just got annoyed by getting it. And sometimes Twitter, NBA Twitter, is so cool to be able to, you know, I'm all about liking and sharing it and, and, and starting conversation, having, you know, that, that hoop love that we all have. But sometimes we all get in our soapboxes and we carry those soapboxes and we form our own little echo chambers. And, you know, the bigger the followers, the more the echo chambers. And it's just, it's just kind of sad. It's kind of annoying. It's just ridiculous. Like, come on, y'all. Come on. Anyways, that's all I got for that, y'all. And honestly, that's all I got for Round Ball Ramble. Had to give you a rant at some point. It was getting around that time. Uh, but listen, you know where to find me on Twitter, at CorbinMBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-M-B-A, HoopBall. This is a HoopBall presentation, like I say. So Hoop-Ball.com on Twitter, at HoopBallTweets altogether. Definitely make sure to check that out. Have a... Uh, couple of good shows coming up. I have an off-season preview uh, series that I'm starting. I got a guest on for the Grizzlies, Mr. David Williams. Can't wait to share it with you this week. I have another one of the Minnesota Timberwolves coming out. Uh, we're going to try to talk about the draft a little bit more as we get closer to draft day, the 29th, which is not that far away, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a lot uh, moving on in terms of content. I'm excited. NBA Finals roll back on, on Wednesday, so we have two more days uh, before we have to worry about the NBA Finals and the Bucks and Suns. I'm not going to overanalyze it too much. I think we kind of see where we're at, but it'll be nice to be able to talk about that as well um aside from that y'all this is a wrap i am frosty y'all y'all stay frosty and uh you know we'll talk tomorrow <laughs> all right y'all
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.